Hallelujah. Are you ready? Did you bring your Bibles? All right, let's make our declaration. This is my Bible. I live by its truth. I walk in its light. I rest in its promises. I'm empowered by its love. And I overcome by the faith produced from receiving this seed sown into my heart. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you as we open our heart to your word, Father, that it gets planted in our lives. And your word says to us that it is a seed that produces what it contains. It produces your life in us. So we thank you, Father, for the impartation of your life into our lives today through your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Praise the Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up, if you would, to Matthew chapter 16. And this morning, we're going to be walking you through. We've been ministering on the church and the Holy Spirit and building the body of Christ. I'm calling this series we're in Summer School. And uh, so we're going a little more in depth, but we're doing a lesson this morning on under construction. So go back to the first slide, if you would, please, guy. So that's our title for this morning is under construction and dealing with that and understanding how that works in our life. We're being built together, but we're also being worked on. Amen? So the whole time God is building us together and using us for His kingdom, He's also working on us and developing us. Praise the Lord. So Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16, and He's asking His disciples, and I'm going to go up to verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, He asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. It's interesting that they were speaking about resurrection, huh? So for him to be one of those guys, he had to be a resurrected manifestation of them. Hallelujah. So think about that. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And for every one of us, it's so important that we come to the realization of who we say Jesus is. It's not enough to know who somebody else says Jesus is. You need to know who he is specifically, personally to yourself. But who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not what? Revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So the revelation, we need that revelation, not just head knowledge. We need heart revelation for it to be revealed to our hearts who Christ is. And he said this in verse 18, And I also say to you that you are Peter. So he declared his name, and Peter's name means the rock, Petros, or the rock. And he says, on this rock. And so one group of Christianity has said, well, now Peter is the rock, and he's the foundation. No, on the rock of who Jesus is. The revelation knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, that's what the church is built on. Amen? That's the foundation. So Jesus says, on this rock, the revelation of who I am that the Father has revealed to you, I will build my church. Okay? And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Amen? And so Jesus has made his declaration... And, and if I could look, present it to you like this, I'll, it's in your outline here. But he just declared the one thing he's doing in the earth. What is Jesus doing in the earth? What did he just say? Okay, it's okay to talk in church. It's okay to have interaction and conversation. Amen. So Jesus said he was going to do what? Build his church. 
So that means I can't have a plan for him to do something else. He's already declared what he's going to do. And so it's important for me that if I want to be walk in agreement with him, that I operate in what he's doing. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and let's see what Paul says about this. So we're under construction. Jesus is building his church. But this is powerful. I'm going to read it to you out of a couple different translations this morning, and uh, along with a couple different points of it in that. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and beginning in verse 10. Paul writing, he says, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. And we've dealt with this in breaking down some of the things. First Corinthians, or Romans chapter 12 says that God has given to everyone a grace gift. So we have a grace gift from God. God gifts us all by grace. Anything you do, any ministry that flows through your life will be by the gifting of God's grace in your life. Could you say amen? So that's what God does. He gifts us and then we minister out of that grace that he supplies to us. For I, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master, what? Builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. Let each one take heed how what? So listen to what he said. Let each one take heed how he builds. So Paul is instructed, he's writing to the church at Corinth, the, the, the congregation, the assembly of the believers at Corinth, and he's saying, let each one of you take heed how he builds. So it, that means each one of us are to be involved in the building of the church. Can you say Amen. Okay, so that's where we are. Now watch this. For on no other foundation can anyone, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is what? Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, I will build my church. And on this rock, I will build my church. The revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 12. And if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as by fire. Look at verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you corporately are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will just let it slide. <laughs> if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Now listen to the Living Bible. And this is a paraphrase. But it was just so powerful. And it says this, verse 13. There's going to come a time of testing at Christ's judgment day to see what kind of material each builder has used. Everyone's work will be put through the fire so that he can see whether or not it keeps its value and what was really accomplished. Then every workman who is built on the foundation with the right materials and whose work still stands will get his pay. But if the house he has built burns up, he will have great loss. He himself will be saved, but listen to this, but like a man escaping through a wall of flames. Verse 16 says, Do you not realize that all of you together are the house of God, and that the Spirit of God lives among you in his house? If anyone defiles and spoils God's home, God will destroy him. 
for God's home is holy and clean, and you are that home. So you've heard me say it as we've been going through this lesson, we live in the culture of individuality. And we come to think that it doesn't matter whether I go to church, whether I assemble, whether I become the body. And the first few lessons we've done on this, we gave you Ephesians 2 that says we are built on the foundation of the prophet and we come together the temple for a habitation of God by the Spirit. Paul's telling us the same thing here. When we come together, we're in a building, but this building is not the church. It's what we're doing in here. It's when we gather together and worship together, when we enter in, that God begins to move by His Spirit. And by His Spirit, He reveals that there are needs in the body. So He starts ministering to the body. Healing takes place. Victory takes place. Can you say amen? But it comes when we come together and work together. And if we are a body, like a physical body, then every member has function. And you've heard me say it, just recapping just a little bit before we get into the construction part of this. But no member in my body is in competition. And for me to go someplace and to be whole, every member of my body has to go with me. None of you left spare parts at home and came here without them today. You, your, your whole body is assembled in with you. And so that's, what, that, that's the illustration how, Paul, how God shows us how we operate as believers together. Amen? Now listen to it out of the Amplified Bible as I give this to you in a couple verses here. It says this in verse 16. It says, Do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church at Corinth, are God's temple? You are His sanctuary and that God's Spirit has His permanent dwelling in you to be at home in you collectively as a church and also individually. Isn't that good? So God's there collectively in us and also individually. And that's the part that we have to discern. We live in a culture that just focuses on what God does in me individually, but God does things in me individually. He fashions and shapes my life so I know how to operate corporately together with the whole body of Christ. Amen. So watch this now. As we go through our outline here this morning, Jesus made his purpose clear through his declaration that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. He would church against the church he would build. Jesus declares his intention because God is a God of purpose and specific intention. Jesus declared, I will build my church. That's the declared statement of divine intention. Can you say amen? So he's declaring that the Bible declares his will, or in other words, his specific intention for our lives. Think about this. God is not a God of chance. He's not a God of chance. Life in Christ is not living, hoping to win the lotto. One of these days, I'm going to get my breakthrough in God. No, life in Christ is purposeful and intentional. Think about this. His declaration, when Jesus declares, makes a declaration, I will build my church, his declaration contains these four things. It is a divine promise. He declares that he is the divine architect. He has a divine plan, and he will bring divine provision. So what does he need for you and I? He needs you and I just to agree with what he wants to do in the earth. So hear it again. His declaration contains a divine promise, I will build my church. It's a divine architect. He's designed it. He's laid out the plans for it, and he's going to provide for it. Next, Jesus is doing one thing in the earth. As I said, he's building his church. 
How many people have all these different concepts of what they think God's doing, but he is building his church. And if we are going to be in the will of God, we must be connected to what he is doing. And now think about it. It's not just buildings and those type of things we're talking about, but he's building his church to come together as one. And I love what's happening in our community with our churches coming together as one together. It's so cool that we're not we're, we're breaking down the walls of competition Amen. But we can come together. We can assemble together. We're not afraid of, of whether our people mingle or co-mingle. We're not worried about that. Number one, they're not our people anyway. Amen. Jesus is the chief shepherd. We're under shepherds. Amen. And so we don't own people. We just, we just minister to what God gives to you and be safe and secure in that. But when the church can come together, not just each local assembly, but when the church as a community comes together, that's powerful. How many know the devil hates that? He hates that. He doesn't want the church to come together. The number one thing he fears is the body of Christ fully coming together in unity. So God, Jesus is doing that one thing in the earth. Look at what he said. I will build. This statement means to be a house builder and to construct or to confirm. When Jesus says, I will build, it means he is the one who is going to oversee that. Acts chapter 7, verse 49, God says, what house will you build for me? seeing that heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. I love this thought. God says, you could not build something big enough for me to get into. Come on, if the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, that means the earth is only if you, would, if, if you could give size or, or, or volume to it. The earth can barely support God's feet. So God says, if, if I put my feet on the earth as a footstool, what house can you build on my footstool that I could get my whole self into? He says you can't build a physical house, but you can build a spiritual house. By becoming the church, by being joined together, you create a spiritual house that I can inhabit with the fullness of who I am. I'm glad I'm more excited about this than you are. Amen. So look at Luke 14 says this. There's always a cost to building that must be addressed before you begin if you desire to finish. If you want to build something, you want to do something, there's always a cost to building. How many of you have ever built anything for free? If you built it for free, the stuff you used to build, it came from somewhere. Nothing is free. There is no such thing as, it might be free to you, but it costs somebody something to get free to you. Amen? The, the free gift of salvation that comes to you only costs Jesus His life. Are you doing alright? So I've never built anything for free, but if I want to build, and I want to finish, and I want to be successful, then I have to first sit down, Jesus said, and count the cost. What's it going to cost? Do the research. Do the homework. Do, do the investigation. Make the material list. Look at what it's going to take. Understand what the endeavor is going to be. And then you have to determine if I'm going to do this, I have to be willing to be all in to see it to the end. Doing all right? Okay. Do the math. 
get information, get counsel. When we decided whether we would buy this property, whether we would start looking for something else, we started doing the math. So what's the right decision? We've been leasing this property for a long time, just using a, a, a physical illustration. Leasing this property for a long time, we moved into this structure, this compound here in 1994. Every time somebody would move out, we'd just rent their space. We kept taking over space, taking over space, till we were using three-quarters of the space of this facility, okay? And this half of the sanctuary was just a warehouse that we kept for about five years and didn't do anything in it, except we had a lot of junk in here. And, <laughs> and uh, so it became a collection area just for stuff. And uh, churches like your house, how many have accumulated stuff you wonder where it came from? Yeah, so that happens here all the time. And uh, most of it comes, hey, Pastor, I think the church could use this, and that's their way of not going to the dump. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So anyway, when it came time to what we would do and, and, and how we would work, and we had bought the acre next to us and made the parking lot, so then you start to, again, okay, what do we have here? What, what, what footprint do we use? At that time, we were using about 20,000 square feet. So if we had to build, we'd have to buy property. You'd have to develop the property. you have to look at the traffic mitigation. you have to deal with all that. So we found a piece of property that was in the area here, almost five acres we looked at. It was about $300,000. Then we found out it cost us almost a million dollars before we even built on the property. So you'd have to do excavation. You had to do the excavation. You've got to get all the permits. You've got to do traffic mitigation. You've got to put in two turn lanes. And so he started adding up, okay, there's a million bucks, okay, and we haven't dug anything in the ground yet, haven't started yet. And so then the cost of building at that time was about $150 a square foot, okay? So we're at 20,000 square feet, so now that is $3 million to build a 20,000 square foot building. Doing all right? So that means now we're at $4 million. And so you have to look at that and say, well, that's not a feasibility. So then you have to come back and say, well, where are we? What do we have? So at here, we look at this. Well, hey, well, we have this. We've been here for all this time. People know where we are. It's an easy location. Drive down Missouri Flat Road. You only have to make one turn. Amen. It's not complicated and all that. But I went and I talked to our superintendent. I talked to other people. We looked. We investigated. You do all that, and then you enter in, and you get counsel. Amen. You count the cost. You weigh everything together. And then we came down, what does it cost us to buy this? Well, the purchase price of this was $1,250,000. I mean, no, that's better than $4 million. And we didn't get 20,000 square feet. We have three, we have three acres and 26,000 square feet of building. Amen. And so when you add all that together, so you make that decision. But you have to count that cost. And then when it comes to remodeling this and doing this, you have to be all in. You have to know what it's going to cost and make that. So we've spent $600,000 getting to where we are right now. Amen. amen. So it takes a commitment. Can you say amen? amen? All right. And so that's where we go. But you do that. You get all the counsel, get all the information. So look inside your outline. We must know that when Jesus builds his church, that people are the only ingredient that he uses. Why does the devil work against you being in church? Because you're the ingredient that God uses to build his church. You're the ingredient. People are the resource. They are the tools. They are the craftsmen. They are the product. And they are the finished building. When it comes to being the church, that's exactly what we are. You're the resource that he uses. You are the tools that he uses. You are the craftsman that he uses. You are the product that he is building. And we are the finished building. Amen? That's what we are. Think about it. Church is a construction zone, though. 
it's always exciting to see someone break ground. When you drive by something, somebody breaking ground, it's exciting to see that. And you begin to wonder, I wonder what they're building there. They've just demoed some, some property over here on Missouri Flat Road. They tore down some old houses over there and demoed that out. They're preparing. They've sent out some ideas. But it's always interesting to see what they're going to build or what the building's going to look like. They just did the medical center. It's a cool-looking building. But when you watch that going on, hey, I wonder what's going on. So anytime somebody breaks ground, you drive by, you see that, it sparks your interest. What will it look like? Think about it. When God breaks ground in the heart of a man, an interest is marked in heaven. When God breaks ground on your life, when you come into a relationship with the Lord, God's breaking ground on your life. He's getting ready to build His kingdom in your heart. What does that mean? Heaven gets interested because raw material will be formed and fashioned and fit and placed into divine purpose. When you get saved, God begins working on you. The Holy Spirit begins a work in your life. Glory to God. And begins to fashion you to fit where you belong, each one of us, where we belong in the body of Christ. And it is yet to be revealed what it's going to be. But it's usually not what you think it will be. Amen. I, we, we used a lot of lumber, a lot of different materials. Kind of interesting here. And, and uh, if you look at our platform, from this point right here to the back of that wall, you would think this floor would be level. But from this point right here to the back of that wall, there was an inch and three quarters drop. So underneath this, where I'm standing right here, there's a whole bunch of 16-inch TGI floor joists underneath there. And then to set those on green board underneath there, then, but to get it level back over there, there had to be shims underneath there. So we had to build that up and, 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 and gra gradually bring it up and level it out. So for an inch and three quarters, then to about an inch and a half, then to an inch and a quarter, all the way up to support everything underneath there so it's solid. So the TGIs are strong, but they needed some support back there. Amen? I mean, we could have air hung them and done all that. We could have done that, but we wanted them set on the ground. We wanted everything as solid as it could be. We didn't want we echo as many echo in here and all that stuff like that. So how many know that those shims are as important as the joists? But how many didn't know those shims were even there? Everybody in the house. <laughs> but look, they're a part of the building. They're a part of the structure. They're important. And that you live in a culture that makes you think you're important and you have to be seen. It's kind of like, cool, these little microphones sitting up here, that's way cool, that little microphone's there. That means I can hear you now. But with that, there's a box right here, and inside this box there's cable running through here. But in order for those cables to get through there, there, there's a piece of pipe that goes underneath here and goes over there so we can run cables from there through the there under here and not have cables all over the floor. Isn't that cool? So that pipe's important. But nobody's ever seen that pipe. Are you listening to me? And that's the way the kingdom of God works. You live in a world that makes you want to be seen. God says, I, it's not so important you be seen. It's important for you to know. I know that I have purpose and I know that I have function. Whether I'm ever seen or not. Whether I'm ever known about or not. Whether I'm ever recognized or not. There will be a day if I do my work right. If I build on the foundation right. As we read and I do my work right. I'll receive a reward in that day. But if I want. I don't want to exchange that reward for recognition here. 
If I do something to be recognized by men, Jesus said, that's your harvest. That's your reward. But if I do something to fit in the purpose of God's plan in building His church and His kingdom, then He's the one who gives me my reward. That's why Paul said, I fought the fight. I finished the race. Therefore, there is laid up a crown for me. And there's a reward that is waiting for me for doing what God asked me to do, not what I want to do. Paul says it over and over. Paul says, I desire, I would rather go here and preach. I'd rather come and be with you. But the Holy Spirit keeps making me go over here where I do not desire to be. Are you doing okay? Amen. So watch this. So the construction zone, it's always exciting to see that happen. So now that we're here and we're building, what the question is, what does it take to build? It takes plans, it takes materials, it takes tools, it takes workers, and it takes finances. Amen. I'm thankful as we were going through this, we had so many people that came to be a part of it. We had so many volunteers, Ken and Jim and Joe and them. Uh, Joe and, and, and Jim painted everything in here. So we're working on everything, but people came in and they volunteered and they're helping to make it happen. Other people came in and helped doing different things. Cole with our stucco and our plaster, all the kind of things that came together, all the different guys that helped in building. Amen? It takes a team to make that happen. But it also takes money. Many of you said, well, I, I don't know an, a nail from a screw. So what I'll do is I can help with resources. Are you doing all right? But see, what I'm saying is the same way, the reason God gives us an illustration of a building, when you said, I will build my church, and he talks about a structure or he talks about a body because they're both make up of so many different components and you need all the components for them to be complete and to function as they're designed to function. Amen. That's what I'm trying to get across to you, that we all have purpose and a place in the body of Christ. Look at this. We get down to this place. I can build alone, but I can build better and more with the team. How many agree? There's some things you can do, and you're trying to do stuff, or you're trying to hang sheetrock or do different things or put boards up. You can find a way to put something up, prop it up, hold it there, and then up here and nail both ends yourself. Or you could just have somebody else with you. It's a lot easier. Amen. Glory to God. You guys are encouraging me this morning. So I can either be a self-contractor, I can be an owner-builder, or I can be a do-it-yourself, or I could use a team. Amen? Well, I'm a self-contractor, I do everything myself, or I'm just an owner-builder, I don't want to contract, I don't want to hire anybody else to help me make it, or I'm just a DIY guy, I do everything myself, or I could get a team. Think about this. Jesus built a team before he began to build his ministry. Jesus built a team. Something in our life. Maturity and growth comes when we can learn how to work with others. Amen. We learn how to work with others. We can get around people and build teams. Have somebody help you do things. That's important. Think about this. Here's a couple things you need to know. Know this. That every tool is important, small or large. I almost did. I almost brought in saws and, and things and everything else and set up a whole illustration up here, but then I get distracted even more than I do normally. <laughs> I was going to set up chop saws, table saws, a door, and all kinds of tools out here and go and do something, but then I pray some of you might hurt yourself around power tools. Amen. So know this. Every tool is important, small or large. And know this. Every piece of material is important from the smallest nails and screws to the biggest beams in the building. Everything's important. 
Amen? Why? Because without nails and screws, nothing would stay put. You need to make sure that what you're connected to stays put. What does that mean? To stay put refers to to hold up, to brace, to support, to reinforce the gap, to hang on. When it comes to the church, many times people say, Pastor, I'd like to be involved. How do I do that? Well, well, let's go through a proving season and let's give you some things to see because we want to find out how much we can lean on you. How much support you really do. So can I lean on you for this? And so if I lean on you for that, once I lean there, then I don't have to be afraid of falling. Amen? So can I lean on you and and trust you with that? Is, 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 Is your commitment trustworthy? Are you doing okay? And so you look at that. How many have ever leaned on somebody that let go? See those videos, all those people playing the jokes about, oh, hey, fall back and I'll catch you. And they get them to stand by the pool and then they trick somebody and then they they set them up to fall and laugh at them amen that's not what we need amen we need people that are are there to stay put to hold up to brace to support to reinforce to bridge the gap to hang on so what's the most important piece of this building what feature would be the most valuable let's think about this what's the most important piece is it a cool big screen that we could talk about that's cool that's awesome Speakers, is it this, that, that, whatever it is? What's the most important piece in the building? It depends upon your interest. When we started building this building, the ladies wanted to know, how many toilets do we get? We've been dealing with two toilets for 24 years. We would like some more toilets. Amen. And the men were kind of in that same vein as well. So... So it's nice. So for a lot of us, it was that. It was for a fellowship hall. Could be this. Could we have this? Could we have that? But it all de- people were asked depending upon your interest. But you know what's important in, in the whole thing? The whole building's important. There's not one place that's more important than anything else. Amen? So think about that. Same thing with your life. Look at this. What does it take to hang a door? Let me ask you this question. Jesus said he was the door. He was an entrance, a way a divider, a protector. But what does it take to hang a door and what is the most important part? Is it the hinges or the door? The jam or the framing? The trim or the handle? What about the plan? Would it be there? Without it, there would be no need for the door. What about the carpenter? Not by chance that Jesus was the son of a carpenter. Amen? So when it comes to hanging a door, it takes, you know, it, it's all there. What's the most important? It's not the door or the gym, but without the screws, the door's not going to stay in place. Put the hinges there, put the door up, but if there's no screws to hold it in place, I shared it with you a couple weeks ago. Do I, it has, that, that one has a place for six screws on there or eight screws on there, four on each side. So what if we only put one on each side? It doesn't matter, but the door might swing for a while, but it's going to be too much stress on those, uh, on the, those two screws. Pretty soon, the door's going to come off the hinges. Amen? So maybe, maybe I'm just a screw in the body of Christ. David said, I, I'd, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. Amen? So be in that place, finding that and learning that. We're just trying to bring us into a place where we find our place of purpose. Look at the next point. Where does God get his supplies when he wants to hang a door? Where does God get his supplies? The world is his lumberyard or his force, depending upon the condition of the material. Look at these next two slides I have for. The lumber yard, you can get materials that have already been worked on and ready for you. So, no, go back to another one. Two more, guys. There you go. One more before that. 
Here we go. In the lumberyard, you get materials that have already been worked on. So you go in there, all this stuff is stacked up, but all that stuff came through a lumberyard, came through a mill. Amen? And then it's all sized for different purposes. Go to the next one. No, you went way too far. Okay, and then they got other materials there. So you got all this milled lumber. So whatever your need is there, I go, I need some dimensional lumber. I need something this long. I need round stock. I need square stock or whatever it is. So all that stuff is there. I need some plywood sheets. But that all came from that. That's where it started. And then it was out in there. So somebody had to go out, cut down the tree, drive it to the thing, put it in the lumber mill, debark it, side it, plane it, do all that. I worked in a lumber yard right after I got out of high school and I was on the, this thing, it was a drop, and so they would debark, and I had to drop the pieces of bark down in and put the whole pieces over and stuff, but just that one area. And then I didn't do very good at that. In fact, I got bent over, got hit in the head with it, so they put me out on the green chain. And so then I'm just there pulling lumber off the thing and stacking it on a green chain. Hey, Ben. I figured I better use my head instead of my muscles because this is hard work. Hey, Ben. So watch this. So in the forest, you only get raw materials. But God has need of both raw and refined materials. Are you with me this morning? So think about this. How do you get them there? Someone has to go to the material, go get the material, transport it to the job site. That means it takes trucks, it takes ropes, it takes racks, it takes tie-down, it takes a driver, a loader, a supplier. How many, how many guys have ever had something on your lumber rack and you've hauled it someplace, you had something in your car, and thought, I'll just set it in there, and it'll make it home. I'll just drive carefully and make it home. That thing slid over, or it slid off, or it fell off, or you're hauling your scaffolding, and the tie-down came off. Next thing you know, you have pieces going down the road, and you just keep going, hoping nobody knows it's you. The ladders on the road. We've seen all that stuff. You've seen lumber on the road. You've seen ladders on the road. You've seen insulation on the road. You've seen all kinds of things out there. Amen? So how many know... It's not that whatever you were hauling isn't important. Now the tie-downs became important, how it was fastened, how it was secured. It takes a driver, it takes a loader, it takes a supplier. It takes a lot just to hang a stinking door. And it takes a lot to build a church. It takes a lot to build a church. It takes people agreeing to come together and, and having a vision of what happens when we allow the Holy Spirit to jointly frame and fit us together, each one of us, in our purpose. So think about these next two thoughts. The church is a building in progress. So here's a construction. You go in there. Okay, they're framed up. That's cool. But how many know that still, both of these places still have a ways to go? You could go in there and get an idea, but how many know it would be better when there's some wiring in there, there's some plumbing in there, there's some sheetrock in there, some insulation in there, and some lights in there, some flooring in there, some counters in there? All the stuff, and then some appliances in there. Then after that, some furniture in there. Some air conditioning in there. So it's all be good, but what if you just said, okay, no, that, that, that'd be a good enough church. We don't need anything more than that. That's all we need. How many know there's a lot missing to that? So everything has importance. So people looking for a finished church will never be satisfied. Pastor Sue is funny because we're talking about if you're praying and following God and uh, listening, then the Holy Spirit has a universal voice. It's interesting, I'm doing this verse, this message on this, and we're hearing different people preaching. Pastor Tim Delaney, we referenced him last year. She listened to him every Sunday morning, and that while she's getting ready. But he's preaching this morning, and he says, people come and says, hey, I think the church ought to do this. I think the church ought to do that. I think the church ought to do this. Tim said, that's great. Why don't you go start your own church? 
If that's what you think it ought to be, then go provide what you think it should be because you're asking us to meet your need and you're not coming here to contribute. Praise the Lord. He got about as big an amen as I did right there. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. So watch this. The church will not look at The church is forever growing and expanding. And because of that, the church will not receive its final inspection until the moment before we go to heaven. Why? Because we're under construction. We will always be under construction. Jesus is always at it. The church is being built. Yes, it can be complete. We come together. But it's still being added to because God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, that all men be saved. And every time somebody gets saved, they get added to the body. They get added to the building. So we're always growing, always expanding, always under construction. Amen? So think about it. But the chief architect is always doing a walkthrough and making a punch list of his improvements to prepare us for that day. The Holy Ghost is an inspector. He walks through. You need to fix this. You need to adjust this. And many times that's him dealing with our attitudes and how we come together. But think about this. Every church, every new believer is raw materials. Every person gets saved, come in the, you're just raw material. Glory to God. That's awesome. And that is so exciting. What does that mean? It means that we're a work in progress. It means you're a potential tool. It means you're a future craftsman. It means you're part of the plan. And it means you're a piece of the building. It means you have purpose. Amen. I'm not just here trying to figure it out. If I have a paradigm shift and I can renew my mind to this, that's why Paul said, don't be conformed to this world. That's why that passage of scriptures is so important. That if, if I think like the world, then I'll never think with the mindset of being material and allowing God to form and to shape my life and to bring me into His plan and His perfection in my life. I read this this morning in Oswald Chambers. I was catching up. I missed a couple of days, but it just was so powerful. And this is from a couple of days ago. Listen to this. It says this. Beware of placing our Lord as a teacher first. If Jesus Christ is a teacher only, then all he can do is tantalize me by erecting a standard I cannot attain. So if you're hearing the word and being what God says you can be feels like a standard, how could I ever reach that? Then you've only received him as a teacher. I must know Jesus Christ as Savior before his teaching has any meaning for me other than that of an ideal which leads to despair. If I hear the word, I'm just hearing this, but once I know he's my savior, then I know he wants to work me. Listen, this is so powerful. Listen. But when I am born again of the spirit of God, I know that Jesus Christ did not come to teach only. He came to make me what he teaches I should be. Jesus didn't come to teach. He comes to make us what he's teaching we should be. The redemption means that Jesus Christ can put into any man the disposition that he ruled in his own life. When you're born again, God puts his, is able to put his disposition into your life. And, and the same life that Jesus walked through, we're able to walk in. Amen. It's not just something we mentally attain to. It's something we spiritually receive into our life. So I can't just hear his teaching and try to mentally wrap my mind around it and, and then try to, to, to somehow uh, 
ingest that into my life and bring it out. I, I don't do it that way. What I do is, is I just open my life to Him and I allow Him to be my Savior. And when He comes in as my Savior and I'm born again of the Spirit of God, His divine nature comes on the inside of me. And now I can live by the nature of God and not my old nature. Glory to God. And so in that, that's that whole process with new material. That's how it begins to work in our life. So think about it. Jesus Christ can put into any man the disposition that ruled his own life. And all the standard God standards that God gives us are based on that disposition. So I hear it. We say, well, I could never be this. But we've received the fruit of the Spirit, which is the divine nature. Somebody ought to shout amen. That's just good stuff. So watch this. So think about it. The church is a custom home, though. It's not a spec house or a track home. There's only one model to choose from, and that is the one that Jesus is building. There's not four or five models. Amen? Now think about this. And I don't mean this in the wrong way, but you can tell when a church has been assembled and it's made a habitation for God or it's just people coming together. Because when the church rightly assembles, his presence is there. And maybe you've been someplace where there's assembly but no presence. We want the presence of God. My heart, my passion, I, I, as, as your pastor, I, I have a couple passions. One, when we come together for church, there's one thing I want. I want God's manifest presence when we assemble. That's what I want. And, and some people don't like that, but I want his presence. Because if we don't have his presence, we might as well be the Lions Club. People coming together, doing some good stuff together, and doing it. but without the presence of God, that that the identifying characteristic is that we are a body that He manifests Himself, that He fills with His life, that He breathes into us, just like when He formed man out of the dust of the earth, He forms us together as His body, that He can breathe His life into. I want the life of God manifest in His assembly. Amen. That's our goal. That's what you want. And then the other thing is, is, is we always press for the altar. Amen. I believe in the altar. There's a place where we, where, where we get to play, where I'm no longer ashamed to come before God and say, I need help. Amen. I'm, I'm raw material. I need to be worked on. I don't need to act like I'm okay. Or I'm afraid that God might cut me and stick me in a wall and nobody ever see me again. Amen. Whatever it is, I'm okay with it. Amen. And so the altar in that area. But then also, I have a passion for you to know and to become all that God ordained you to be in your life. I don't want people, why, why would we miss out on what God made available for us? So sometimes I come across kind of aggressive, kind of hard, kind of strong. But hey. God called me, so I'll just be who I am. Amen. So watch this. So understand the process. On the job site, you run into raw material. And we, have some, we all have raw spaces in our lives. Would you agree? On the site, you will run into material pieces that don't fit yet. They still need some shaping and adjusting before they find their place. Amen. We know we're framing all this stuff, all these walls in here, there's studs in here and everything else. These walls go up eight foot and then they go up further than that. And so all the way up to the top, 16 feet on the side there. And so on top of that eight feet, we had to frame another wall up there. And then there's beams that run across there. And then there's some metal clips that hold those studs to the beam so the wall doesn't fall over. 
Amen. Because there's a metal wall on the outside of this, so this inside wall is a furred out wall. So to do all that, those little metal clips are pretty important, but without the little screws that hold the metal clip, I wouldn't want to sit on that side of the building. I didn't put those clips up there, so I'm not sure who did that. <laughs> Amen. But all that stuff got in here, but stacked and had to be cut and put in place. When we sheetrocked this building, there were piles and piles of sheetrock in here. And then the next thing you know, there's a bunch of piles of scraps out here, but then the walls are all finished up. And so all those sheets, eight, 12 foot, eight and 12 foot pieces had to be cut and shaped to fit in between. Amen? Hallelujah. And what was waste and thrown off is the stuff we didn't need. Amen? And so we got trimmed down and fit, cut to the place where we fit. Think about this. On the job site, you're going to run into some rough edges. Somebody say rough edges. So there's raw material there, but then there's some rough edges. That's why the carpenter has calloused hands. Amen. My hand, been a while, but a little bit, but there's still calluses on there. I start working, I have calluses that keep showing up from holding hammers, from holding concrete trowel, doing other stuff. So I have calloused hands. I got Nixon scraped. Amen. I even have a Band-Aid on here because I was making omelets the other night, and I always like to put a little piece of myself into what I'm cooking. Put my heart into it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I'm chopping up peppers. That's not a pepper. Amen. Hallelujah. But look, look. I didn't quit cooking. I didn't quit cooking omelets. I finished cooking even though I got wounded cooking. And I bled, and it hurt, and it still hurts. And if I poke it right now, it would still bleed. It's still a raw sore. But I probably cook today again. Why? Because I like the byproduct of cooking. Amen. And because I haven't gotten discouraged by getting wounded when I cook, I've become a pretty good cook. I can cook something pretty well. Amen. Same thing with serving God. That's why the carpenter has callous hands. He's used to working with raw materials. See, if you come to church and you expect everybody to be refined, everybody look up here just for a moment. They're probably about as refined as you are. We want perfection in others when we think we have it in ourselves. So that's why we're used to raw material. What, why? See, you become accustomed to it. Think about this. The carpenter has become conditioned by it, so he's not easily hurt or wounded. Amen. People get easily hurt and wounded in church. Think about this. He's become insensitive to the small abrasions on the job site and is able to endure without becoming what? Offended. Because he expects raw material to be pokey. So when you come to church, just expect to run into some pokey people. Amen. Well, that person always rubs me the wrong way. That's because there's just some raw areas in their life. Amen. God's working on them. If you just give them some time, 25 years from now, you won't recognize them. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes it takes longer than that. Amen. Soon I've been married 44 years. She's still waiting for some rough edges to be worked off of me. Amen. I'm a 45-year work in progress. Amen. So think about this. 
He knows how to protect himself. He uses gloves, wears a hard hat, safety glasses, and carries lots of Band-Aids. Amen? Let me get ready to close with this. Never forget, guys, you're in the process. I'm saying, because if I don't understand the whole construction thing and what God is doing, Jesus said I'm building my church. The reason I'm doing this lesson today is as we keep moving into the Holy Spirit, everything about the Holy Spirit working in our life working, is fitting us to fit in this amazing spiritual habitation that God is building. Amen? And we have to get over all the rough edges and the raw material and everything else. When, when you see raw material, you should be excited. I love watching God work on raw material. Let me just pause and say this. I just have to say thank you to all of our volunteers yesterday. You guys were amazing. You were amazing. We had so many people here helping with the memorial service yesterday. So many people prepared food. So many people, you ministered to a whole family, people that, that don't attend our church. It's Cynthia's extended family and, and that. And, and, but they don't live in the area. They don't care, but they came. We blessed them, ministered. But it was such a blessing to see so many people here serving. I was bragging on you guys on Facebook. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being the body. Give yourselves a hand. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you so much. But in that area, there's people that are walking on. So it's fun watching people come in and then connect and get involved in serving and plugging in, finding a way. Because some, some of you have a gift of hospitality, a gift of serving, a gift of encouraging. So we need you standing at the door. I'm always thinking about things, how, how things can be better, how things can be worked, how, how to adjust this, how to make this. People get irritated with me because we'll do a service. I say, man, we could have done this. We should have done that. We should have done this. should have done that. Before I ever say, hey, man, that's God. So I have to make myself stop and say, great job. Now we should have done this. We should have done. <laughs> Amen. But, but that, you need people in every area, in every aspect. Amen. And so you need somebody at the door greeting that has a smile that just has. There's some people, you just, you just see them and you feel welcome. Amen. We need you at the door. Amen. Your face just say, hey, I like you even though I don't know you. Amen. So we like that stuff. Amen? So think about it. You're always in the place of being worked on and being used at the same time. That's what the, the guys asked a question the other night. Um, can, can, can God still use you even if you've got areas in your life? If God couldn't use us when we have raw areas in our life, there would be no ministry taking place anywhere. <laughs> Nowhere. No, nothing would happen. And I share with him that the, the way God showed it to me in that, and, and when I saw it, because j just r write this down in your notes someplace, write this down. The vessel never qualifies the gift. The vessel never qualifies. You're a vessel that God uses. You're a vessel that God puts His gift in. And when the gift flows to you, the gift is always perfect. The gift of God that flows through our lives is always perfect. You don't qualify the gift. And the gift doesn't necessarily qualify you. It just means you had faith to be used by God. Amen? It's all about Him. It's not about us. So if, if I start getting credit because I have a prophetic word, I have a word of knowledge, I did this or that, it's not about you. You're the vessel that He flowed through. That's like your water hose being all excited because water went through it. Well, without the spigot and the source and everything else to get the hose doesn't have nothing. So when water flows through the hose, it doesn't make it a big deal. 
Are you doing all right? So I understand that. So the, 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 the vessel never qualifies the gift. That's where people get upset because they'll watch somebody and somebody have a hang-up or somebody have a problem and they'll disqualify the gift because they're judging the gift by the vessel. When we were pastoring in Bieber, we had a lady that would come to church and she only came, you know, every couple months or something like that. And we knew them very well. When we first moved there, we lived with them and stuff. And uh, while we were doing some remodeling on the parsonage, we were ready to move into them. So been in their home. Then we knew these people for several years, even before we went there and stuff. And so, but when you know somebody personally, and then I watched her and I knew all about her personal lifestyle, her conduct and everything else. And then she would come to church on a very irregular basis. But every time she came in, she had the word of the Lord. Be worse, the next thing you know, she has a prophetic word, and I'm going, God, I know her life. How are you using her? And so the Lord said, I never, I'm never qualified by the vessel that I use. The vessel never qualifies the gift. The reason she came in and she always had a word because she was the only one. The, the one with the life that had the most raw spaces and rough spaces on it was the one that had the faith to be used. Sometimes we get too spiritually refined to be used by God. We're, we're too concerned about our image and missing it and looking foolish or making a mistake that we have too much to protect of ourselves to be used by God. She was awesome. She didn't care what anybody thought about her. You have to get that place where you don't care what people think about you to be used by God. Because if you're always thinking about you, you will never be able to hear Him. Amen? So watch this. You're in that process of being worked on and being used. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the worship team come back. It means the term old things pass away and all things become new is in the present progressive tense, meaning it is in the now and ongoing in our lives. You're in the process. You are always in the process of something passing away and something else becoming new. Think about it. We need to understand and enjoy and love the process. We must remember you can't define your own purpose. You cannot define your own purpose. There's not one piece of material in here that we put in this building that said, I don't want to be that. Nothing said, I don't want to be that. Everything was submitted to the saw, to the gun, to the nail, to the screw. You understand? in order to be fashioned together. We must remember we are raw material. We are usable material. We are tools. We are craftsmen. We are the project, and we are the finished. We're all of that. That's what's so amazing. At one point, I'm raw material. Another, another part of my life is usable material. Part of me is a tool that God is using. Another part of me is a craftsman. Where God's given me skills to do things. There's another part of me that I'm just a project that he's working on. And then there's some part of me, I'm part of the finished building. It's so awesome. Amen. So the call of God always takes me to others. And there's no satisfaction or fulfillment in receiving, but only in giving. There's no, I have to remember, I have to sow first if I'm ever going to receive. As I was 
getting ready, I have this note in this Bible. And I was amazed how it tied into this. Because as I read this, then I read this note. And in the Amplified Bible, Luke chapter 4 and verse 7, the devil says this to Jesus. Took him up on the kingdom, showed him all the kingdoms of this world. And he says, if you'll fall down and worship me this one time, you fall down and worship me one time, you sow one seed of worship to me, and all this will be yours. Because the devil knows the law of seed and harvest. If you sow a seed of worship to me, I can take your place. You will have given up your place by sowing that seed. That's why the devil's always after you to sow into what he puts before you. So I wrote this down. Satan's ploy is always worldly gain. And all he asks for is just sow one seed of worship. Jesus said, I can't. I won't. I won't give you any place. And I understand. I came here in John. Listen. So if you take what the devil's asking you to do, you sow a seed of worship. In John 12, Jesus said, except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. So what did God do? God sowed his son as a seed in the earth for a family. God had one son. He sowed one seed to reap you as a harvest. We make that choice every day how we're going to sow. And the way I sow my life is I say, God, here I am. I'm the material you can use. I choose to say yes to you, to sow my life into your kingdom. And that's what's so powerful in that same thing. We are a seed that's being sown, and we are soil that's receiving seed. I'm raw material, and I have some finished areas in my life. I'm being used by God, and I'm being worked on by God all at the same time. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Something so powerful happens when we just say yes. Just have you bow your head just for a moment. Maybe you're here today and that's part of what you're doing. God, where do I fit? What's my place? What's my purpose? How do I fit in to your plan, to the church, for the kingdom. It has to come by just giving up and letting go. Allowing yourself to be that piece of timber that God harvested out of the forest of this world. Allow him to put you on the logging truck. Allow him to take you to the lumber yard. Allow him to put you through the lumber mill. Allow God to fashion and to form your life for the purpose that he ordained for your life. And so take that yielding point where I just say yes to the Lord. That I receive him as Savior. I'm not just trying to understand it, but I receive him as Savior. Maybe you're here today and that's you. You've come, but you know that you need to give your life to God as just a piece of raw material. Say, God, here I am. I give you my life. Fashion me, form me, shape me into whatever you want my life to be for your glory. 
Use me however you will. I give my life to you as if I'm a tree that's been cut down from the forest. I want you to mold me, mill me, use me for your glory. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today and there's just those areas that you've had. Maybe your design on something in that. And you've struggled in an area letting go and wondering why God hasn't used you in different areas. But if you just let that go and let God put you in the place and let his gifts and abilities, as Paul said, through the grace given to me, say, God, I just want to know what your grace is in my life and I want to flow in that. So while they're going to just we're worship the Lord just for a moment. But the way, like I said, the altar is the place where I bring my life to God. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So it's where I come and say, God, here's my life, and I'm going to live my life for you. So if you're here today, we want to pray with you, agree with you. Paul's going to come join me up here. We're going to pray for you. Ray can come up and join me as well. We're going to lay hands on you this morning. But if you need prayer or agreement in the area, and you need uh, just to make that commitment to the Lord. Say, Lord, I just bring my life to you. So there's something about giving my life to the Lord, about stepping forward, about making that decision, not just staying there, but actually taking a step toward that next level with God and allowing Him to work on your life. So as they lead us, if you want to take that step, God pulling on your heart, you come. If you need prayer in any area, we're here to pray for you. Just come right now in Jesus' name.